Hi, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators, home of NARC Troopers. That's the name of the website where you can find a lot of different resources and materials about recovering from a relationship with a disordered cluster B individual. Today's topic is called, If You Love a Monster, well, you know the rest. The malignant pathological narcissist is a beast beneath all of the glitter and glam, and the world thinks that you knew their dirty little secret all along and defended them anyway. So that's kind of where we are. And I want to begin with the caveat, with the disclaimer or qualifying statement that, of course, a person with narcissistic personality disorder is not actually a monster. I don't believe they are actually evil. I believe they are mentally ill individuals who have suffered trauma, and as a result, their response to it was to anesthetize and euthanize themselves. But for the sake of metaphor, and magnitude of this horrible um, disease, as Dr. Vaknin calls it, a cancer of the soul, a terminal cancer of the soul, then um, I'm going to refer to the whole beast and monster uh, metaphor um, to make my point. So I just wanted to put that out there uh, to begin with. I don't want to vilify or demonize people with mental illness. Um, I've been surrounded by it most of my life, and I certainly have empathy for those uh, who suffer. But we are judged by our relationships with these unwell, uh, unhealthy people. We are. We're judged by our friends, our family, by our colleagues, by just the world at large, does not look kindly upon people who fraternize with those who are um, malignant and dangerous or disordered in some way, like cluster B disordered people are. This would be your narcissist and your psychopath, maybe your sociopath as well. So before you get too upset about what I just said, I I'm, I really don't think I'm off base when I just coin this word um, in, instead of saying pathological covert um, somatic narcissist or some kind of long uh, label like that. Um, you know, although they are mentally um, unwell and they're worthy of pity, for the tragedy that is their lives. But in spite of all that, they do monstrous things that cause death and destruction to all of those around them. So as sweet and lovely as they may be from time to time, and they are, especially the covert and the somatic, they're just, you know, too good to be true. And despite the fact that they may be pathetically broken and abused, 
which they probably more than likely were, you know, none of that really matters. If you do monstrous things repeatedly and without remorse, I think we're going to go ahead and just use that word for now, monster, in reference to um, not necessarily their identity about what they are, but it's a descriptor of kind of what they what they do. They do monstrous things. And um, so I wanted to clarify that. Um, but this today's talk is really about how the people who are attached to them are perceived by the world. Um, and that's what I would like to zoom in and um, talk about for, for a little while. Um, you know, the monstrous side of a person may not always be evident or visible, and the darkness of the spirit and absence of, of being, and that's what it is, it's an absence of being, um, you know, it is a hard reality that lurks beneath this perfect and charming facade this veneer that the narcissist wears, this mask. And I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure every mass murderer, serial killer, child abuser, depraved criminal, criminal in prison, they all have a tragic story of how mistreated and abused they were and how they were the victim when they were young. But let's think about that. Does that make it okay? Does that give them license to kill, to maim, to injure, to torture? I don't think so. Just because bad things happen to them does not give them permission to do bad things to others. You know, at some point, it doesn't matter. What matters is what you do. Your actions are your character. Haven't you heard that before? So... If the culmination of all of your relationships ends in pain and suffering and agony, then I think we have to just let them accept this label that they have earned that they are a destructive force. Now on to the focus of what we're really talking about today. Um, people that will, you know, the, those of us who stay with these destroyers, how, how does the world judge us? Um, I think they condemn us, and I think that they are rather harsh critics. Um, being married to a narcissist is like being married to, I don't know, Charles Manson or Ms. Dahmer, or it's like being Ms. Bundy. You know, how, how could they have known who they were with and what they were doing. A lot of these people are surprised to find out that their partner is what they are, you know, and the world is not kind to them. Uh, those who, to the ones who love these infamous uh, criminals, beauty and the beast is only fiction in the real world. Uh, well, even in beauty and the beast, you saw that March on the Capitol, <laughs> on the on the castle what did i say oops that was a faux pas uh freudian slip the march on the castle in beauty and the beast illustrates what the villagers thought of the beast they didn't care if he had redeeming qualities or if he was transforming himself or if he was a prince underneath all that fur 
They didn't care. They came with torches and pitchforks, right? Same thing with Frankenstein. Same thing with all of these different movies about monsters that try to humanize that monster's, um, you know, the monsters, what is the word I'm trying to think of? Their, their humanity, as if they had any. Maybe they don't, but, I mean, when you try to argue that they do have some um, redeeming value or something like that, then, you know, I think the masses just don't have, they just won't take that. They won't accept that. They're, they reject it and say, no, 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 no. This, this is a monster. It's a monster. And we have to, um, like, dispatch it to its maker, get rid of it. So, uh, the minute you're not looking, sometimes these people that we have attached ourselves to who are so, so sick, you know, they're off doing horrible things. Just like in those fairy tales with the beast and with Frankenstein, you know, they're off eating babies, pillaging villages and slaying souls and just doing awful things because they can't help it. That's what they are, right? And the world assumes that either you're a co-conspirator and that you, you are evil just like that, or that you're the biggest idiot and fool who ever lived. And I actually think it might be a little bit of both. It's guilt by association. Now, let me also say something very emphatically. We are not to blame. Those of us who are in these relationships, even though there are reasons that we were vulnerable and reasons that we opened ourselves up and reasons that we stayed when we shouldn't have, reasons that we should have known better and run away. Yeah, there's reasons for all of that. But none of that um, makes us where we, it's, it's like we didn't choose to pair with someone who was so depraved and perverse and crazy you know we there were things that clicked in us that made us attracted to that kind of person in the first place you know childhood scripting toxic programming archaic wounding uh our own early early childhood trauma and abuse and neglect and maybe we even had narcissistic parents or something there's a lot of reasons that set us up to get into these relationships in the first place, to be drawn to them, to be attracted to them, to be a magnet. You've heard about narc magnets, narcopath magnets. So we just, you know, attract it. It's like, you know, we've, um, yeah, it, you, you know what I'm talking about. So they, they find us, they come to us, and we respond to that because it feels familiar, feels like home, feels like what we know, what we have been raised and groomed to do by our lives that we had before we met them prepared us for that relationship with them so it's not that we're just like victims that were totally uh just plucked out of uh, a crowd and and you know gobbled up by the narcissist there were things wrong with us broken in us damaged flawed whatever you want to call it that made us very attractive prey to the narcissists. It's like we're the ones walking around with the bullseye on us, uh, you know, that have have that 
little signal that, that has tagged us as we're the ones that are easy prey because we're the ones that have been desynthesized to this kind of abuse. We're the ones that feel like that's love when it's the farthest thing from it. Uh, we're the ones that, you know, have been prepared to fulfill this role as, um, as that we have to fulfill with the narcissist. So we're not to blame. I just want to say that again. It's not our fault that those things happen to us and that we're hardwired that way and scripted that way, that, that we're victims too. Like in these relationships, both of us are the, 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 the narcissist and the person they prey upon. They're both victims from something awful from something earlier. And they recognize that in each other. And it's, it's, um, something that brings them together. So it's not your fault. Just like it's, you know, it's not their fault probably that they're what they are, but they are that thing and they are absent and they are predatory and they do very evil messed up things and you can't ignore that. And so you can't assume people who, the people who are watching all of this unfold, the people that are witness to this, they don't believe what they're seeing. They look at this and think, oh my gosh, doesn't this person see that this is a, there's something wrong with this person? They're creepy. We've got that uncanny valley thing kicking in where something just really feels really off. Uh, we're uncomfortable around this person. We want to get away. They seem like there's something really wrong with them. Everybody sees it except you, you know, because you have been raised to just eat that up. That's what, that's, that's bliss for you. That's family for you. That's comfort for you. It feels so familiar. It's like home cooking or something, you know, it's, um, it's unfortunate is what it is. And the people watching it, they can't even believe what they're seeing. Like, why don't you run away? Clearly this is a predatory person. Why are you not trying to escape? They don't understand it. There's no way they're gonna understand it ever because they haven't experienced it. And unless you have experienced this kind of dysfunctional, um, toxic injured dynamic in your life, you don't get it. You're not going to get it. Um, so someone once said, Plato, <laughs> I'm going to quote Plato, said, better be unborn than untaught, for ignorance is the root of misfortune. And I'm not talking about those of us that were victims of the predatory narcissist. I'm talking about everybody else. It is a lack of knowing, and a lack of knowing is they are ignorant. I'm not using that as an insult to slander the world at large for not knowing what narcissism is. I hope they never know what it is. I hope they never experience it in the intimate way, in the annihilating, um, just, you know, existential kind of way that those of us who have uh, loved someone with this illness, I hope they never experience that. I hope they don't understand it because it's horrible. And those of us who do understand it, I'm sure we wish that we didn't. Um, and, and so, uh, I'll quote somebody else here. 
How about this? Martin Luther King once said, Martin Luther King Jr., you know, he's still like the number one quoted person. I have students. When people ask them, who do you admire? Who's your role model? Who's somebody that you think really had a good message? There's a billion people they could use, <laughs> right? Through history, even more recent. But, you know, it seems like nine times out of ten. It's Martin Luther King, which is fine. I just find that a little strange. Nothing, he says, in all of the world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance and conscientious stupidity. It's Martin Luther King said that. Yep, Dr. King. And if Dr. King says it, you know, it's true. Does the narcissist's significant other share their guilt because they were so enmeshed and entrained that they didn't know what was really going on? I mean, they knew some, we, we knew that there was something not right. We knew there was something wrong with him. We're not blind, deaf, and dumb. Obviously, we're looking at this person who can't act like a normal, average human being, and they can't get things right, and they keep screwing up and doing crazy things. Of course, we know that there's something wrong. But the way that we process that, the way we justify it and rationalize it, the way we're trauma bonded and addicted to that, the way that it feels familiar and we're playing all these roles where we're parentifying and we're doing like different things in this relationship, we're, we're um, reenacting our childhood all over again, hoping for a different outcome. You know, all of this is... Um, well, you know, night after night, we cozy up next to this person, never really thinking about what is going on, what's inside of them, what all of that. It's, it's like um, it's a shared delusion, a mutual psychosis, a folly adieu, folly adieu. Um, French word for mutual psychosis, right? Both people are being foolish and takes two to tango. So year after year, we go on like this with these people with their excuses and they're doing crazy things and we're just accepting it. We're accepting whatever lame excuse they tell us and, um, and we just look the other way because What's the alternative, right? Those of you that were in it, you know, um, it's almost as if it wasn't really a choice. We couldn't leave. We had to stand staunchly and steadfastly against the whole world, us and our narcissist against everybody because they just didn't see what we could see. And what we saw was a blind allegiance to something that was false and and empty. It was a neurochemical dysregulation, peptide addiction, cognitive dissonance, magical thinking, entrainment, enmeshment, Stockholm syndrome, shared psychosis, and a million other things too. That's what was going on. That's why we couldn't leave, and that's why we couldn't see what everybody else was seeing. And in shock and horror, they couldn't understand, what is wrong with you for staying with this person? Well, there's just a lot going on there that people can't even imagine. And on some level, you know, uh, we're repressing that. We're excusing it and justifying it and rationalizing it and doing everything we can to, to, to be able to live with it and to, to um, um, 
kind of like, well, you know, it's not a big thing. He's had a rough day or something like that, you know? Um, and, and, it, and it's something that was creepy and ill-fitting, freakish, convoluted, twisted, dark and messy, forbidden, dangerous, unwell, abnormal. Yes, yes, it was all those things. And yes, yes, we knew. Here's the question. Did that make us complicit? Um, are we co-conspirators in whatever evil they did? So I think that's the question. Um, we ignored all of those intuitive gut feelings, and we just jumped in that rabbit hole with our dark prince or princess. You know, it's almost as if we were charmed under a spell or something, or hypnotized, or brainwashed, or conditioned by a cult or something. Never in a million years could we have imagined doing some of the things that we did with the narcissist because it's so, it was so out of character for us. That's not who we were. I had people tell me, oh, you've changed. And I never felt it. I was like that frog in the, in the warm water where you turn up the heat slowly. I never noticed that I changed. I didn't feel it. I, I, I didn't believe that. I, I thought, you're crazy. I'm no different. I'm the same person I've always been. What are you talking about? But I did change when I was with him because he was stealing my identity every day. Pieces of me were getting picked off, sliced off in little chunks. And he was like sticking them onto his own self. He was gobbling them up and internalizing them. He was becoming me slowly, uh, taking my personality, my, my likes and dislikes, my traits, my... Uh, my wisdom, my knowledge, my experience, my everything, everything being slowly siphoned away. And I didn't even know it. And, um, you know, we're never going to be the person that we were when we met them. That person has been uh, dissected and digested by the narcissist. It's gone. Um, like dissolved in acid or something, you know, they murdered that person. Our narcissist murdered that person that we were. They don't exist anymore. They're gone. And so now you are charged with the task of completely recreating a new you from scratch, like tabla rosa, blank slate. It's going to have to be um, like that, right? Because um, you know, you don't exist in the way that you did before. And so there's like tons of people through history. I could give you examples. I'm not going to. But a lot of them committed horrible, horrible crimes. And they were married. And they looked like they had normal lives. And their wives stood by them for years and years, sometimes decades, apparently never really knowing, even though I'm sure they felt it. Like they knew there was something weird going on. They knew that it was so horrible they just couldn't look or didn't want to look or see or know because of all the dynamics of what goes on in these relationships. It's ugly. It's dependent. It's desperate. It's helpless. It's, it's, it's a lot of things. But, you know, on some gut level, you know that something is very, very wrong and they are doing something very, very bad. And, and you just can't act upon it. Uh, you can't see the forest for the trees. 
you know, once you drink the Kool-Aid, it's over. You know, you fall or jump in or whatever into that rabbit hole. And trust me, it's a long way down. You know, my story is a cautionary one. I've shared it many times, what happened to me, how foolish I was and how much this relationship cost me everything, everything that mattered to me. I lost it. And, you know, I have wondered from time to time if if the reason I've suffered so much is, is so that I can warn all of you. And so this is it. This is my warning. Here it is. <laughs> Get ready. This is the warning. The world is going to look at you differently. And you can never go back to the way things were before you brought this narcissist into everyone's life. The time that you spent with them is lost as if you were in a coma and or if you've been kidnapped or held for ransom or abducted by aliens or something. You're gone. When you go with the narcissist, when you get into that shared fantasy bubble, it, you leave. You, you're, you have departed this reality and you have gone to another dimension, another multiverse, another another reality that is not this one and you leave all those people behind your friends your family your children everyone you know they look in horror watching the whole thing not understanding why you do this and you know why would you choose a disordered abuser over a family member who loves you over friends who actually care about you you know they're never ever gonna understand that so in order to protect themselves from future drama and whatever danger there is there, they distance themselves. They step away. They move themselves away from your life. And if you're lucky, when it's over, when all, all the smoke has settled and you're, you know, there's nothing left of the narcissist, they're long gone, you'll be lucky if they still talk to you from time to time or have some kind of brief visit with you or something. But the relationship that you had with them before, it's never going to be able to be fully repaired. It's just, it's not. So that's what happens when we get in this and we let ourselves get in this situation. They don't feel safe with you. And there's nothing you can do or learn or change or create about your new identity after the narcissist is gone to make them feel that they have restored trust for you. You know, you weren't the only one who was traumatized. They were too, especially if they were children. You know, you're supposed to be the, the, the head of the family, right? To protect them as a parent. And you failed to do that when you entered the matrix with a malignant narcissist. Someone once told me something memorable during the first year after I was discarded. And it ended so abruptly and so brutally, it just destroyed me. You know, but this has stuck with me. It had a stickiness all this time. She said, I'm afraid to stand too close to you. You're on fire. And I'm afraid that if I stand beside you, or come too close, I'm going to burn with you and catch on fire too. So who am I to condemn anyone for exiting my life, for everyone's mass exodus? You know, I can't condemn that. And, 
and hold that against them because, you know, when I got the chance, I did the same thing. And I got as far away from my mother, who was a burning woman, mentally ill, burning woman. I got as far as I could get. You know, she was always in flame and flames and raging out of control. And I pr tried to put down boundaries, but they were never honored and it didn't work out. She was delusional and irrational. And this mental illness drove me away. She couldn't hear me, much less honor or respect me as a separate individual. So, you know, she had committed such heinous crimes against me since I was just a little kid that it made it clear that she had nothing but contempt for me and her illness. It was, it was terrible. Even when she was making her best effort, I felt like she was going to try to kill me or ruin my life. So my failure as a parent in all of this mess was tragic in the true sense of the word, because I had vowed to never be like my mother or to, to be, crazy or mentally ill or out of control like that. And everything that I did my whole life, I was in my mid forties. My narcissist was my second husband. I would, it, it took me that long, um, before I, f I fell, I fell for something, um, you know, really bad. And, um, prior to that, I was trying to do everything to do a better job and to get it right and to all of that but you know i i um okay let me let me say this i i can say that um i had my children after all this and i had their trust and respect and love even though i was guilty of shortcomings and I parentified them without really knowing what parentification is. And I had trouble with boundaries and stuff. I wasn't perfect, but I was a far, far cry from what my mother was. And I, I made it till my mid forties. And then I just, I didn't even see it coming. It was like a slow train wreck that seems so surrealistic. I was just swept away before I knew what hit me. I was paralyzed. I was unable to stop it from just wiping me out. There he was, just this energetic force of nature, a predator, guru, crazy guy. And, you know, the rest was history. You know, I think that, I think that it was a perfect storm. And in his own way, all narcissists try to warn you. Mine tried to warn me. He told me he wasn't like other people, that his past relationships, they had all told him he was a monster because he was so cold and cruel and had no emotions at the end. And I laughed to myself and I thought, well, you've just never met anybody like me. He asked me if I thought he was a freak and you know, he, there were so many things about him that he disclosed that were so disturbing on so many levels. But I just, instead of stepping back and thinking, whoa, this is a little much, I think I'm going to pass. I leaned in and I stepped forward and I moved closer. And for 15 years, I was married to this man in this mutual psychosis. 
And I and my cautionary tale is that once you do that, everything that you had before is gone, and there's no turning back. They have you hooked. All you can do is flip-flop around on the hook and try to disentangle yourself, but it's never going to work. The world will witness this debacle and gaze and amazement that you could fall so hard and fast and lose everything all at once. They'll shake their heads. They'll pity you, maybe. They will think that you've lost your mind, and then they will distance themselves. They will not trust you or feel safe around you probably ever again. And they will never, ever, ever understand why you did it. You know, if they somehow manage to forgive you, rest assured they're never going to forget. And you know, you are no longer the same person anyway. They can't interact with that person that you were because that person is a victim of identity theft and and. They're a murder victim. They're gone. That poor soul doesn't exist anymore. You have to give birth to a new version of your identity, free of the past. I think what we have to do is stop trying to explain ourselves to the world, and not at least to the world we used to know. Just just learn to let go of the people and the things that can never be part of your new life, at least not now that you've not in a way that you want them to be because everything has changed you have changed they have changed time has passed the boat has sailed life has gone on without you and they changed and you lost them when you weren't looking while you were away in this shared fantasy with this narcissist all of this happened and everything and everyone was not frozen in time while you were sleeping in the imaginary castle. They kept living, and they went on without you, and they left you behind. You have to accept that reality, sad and tragic though it may be. And then accept that you gave a tragic amount of time and energy to something that was destined to end you. The narcopath is empty, hollow, sick, and delusional, and lacking all the basic things that enabled them to be anything other than just survivalists and predators. We have to accept that they were never what they promised that they were, and that it, it was all a dream, a happy, glowy, sparkling, glittery dream that turned into a never-ending nightmare. We did the best we could with what we knew and saw and believed and felt. And sure, now we regret it deeply, but we have to be careful not to live in our guilt either. You know, we, we got played and we felt humiliated and we just can't allow ourselves to live in that shame and to marinate in it and wallow in it, you know, splash around in it. Sure, we lost everything. Our friends, our family, our children, our support. Most importantly, we lost ourselves. But we have to remember that we did survive. Our heart's still beating. We're still breathing. We received another chance to live another life, a different life, new and improved. It's time to stop ruminating 
over all the things that we lost and hold space for gratitude. Gratitude that we get another go at it in this crazy thing called life. You know, no one is coming to help you. You have to do it for yourself. You know the truth that few can believe or comprehend. It's just the truth of what has happened is it's unfortunate. It's not your fault. It's not really even their fault. You've got two people that were damaged and came together in some really horrible ways. The narcissist, psychopath person cannot change or be saved or repaired or healed or fixed or any of that. No matter how much you wish for it, pray for it, hope for it or whatever, you know, you get one magic wish, it's still not going to happen. You have to use that wish for yourself and your loved ones that you can start new and that they will give you a chance to be this new person in, with this new relationship with them that's altered, it's changed, it's different, it's going to have more boundaries, more uh, stipulations and conditions, more distance. It's going to be different, and you may not like it, but you should feel grateful that you have anything because they slayed you. It's as if, you know, they took everything. And the fact that you're still in here listening to my my podcast, you're trying to read and educate yourself, trying to learn what happened to you and what to do about it. The fact that you're here tells me that you want to live. You want to exist. You want to have relationships. You want to go on with your life. And you can do that. They cannot. You can we know in our bones, our hearts, and in our souls, we know that we need to live in rhythm with the truth, turn inwards, grow a new fresh identity, find others who speak our language of trauma, and celebrate our strong and brave selves that have survived so much pain and so much abuse, and yet still we stand. So let the world judge us. Let the world condemn what we've done and laugh at us or, or castigate us or banish us or whatever. They are ignorant. They do not understand. And there's no way they're ever going to. So don't worry about what they think. Focus on yourself on what you need to do and on the relationships that matter that you want to try to fan those flames, get the sparks and embers glowing and try to get some warmth back in and life into the relationships that you lost while you were away chasing something with a narcissist who could never, ever, ever love you. You got to love yourself now. And that's what we all have to accept. And so in ending, thank you for being here today on this journey with me. If you or someone you know is trying to reclaim their life following narcissistic abuse, check out my materials and resources. They're free. 
They're on my website. There's YouTube videos to watch. They're free. There's articles to read. I think it might be $5 a month to subscribe. I encourage you to do that. If you don't want to spend $5 a month to subscribe, I think you get three or four free articles every month. That should cover at least most of what I write. I try to put out new content once a week. And so you won't miss a whole lot uh, if you just read the free versions. Um, the podcasts are free. Everything's free. I'm not making money. Uh, I'm providing a public service because, you know, not a lot of people understand this. And you can get a very harsh reaction from people who have seen what you've done and they don't understand it. It can not go very well, you know. Uh, I, I want to be here to tell you that you can be okay. And you, there's a, some things you can't control. You can't control what other people think of you and think about what you've done. What you can control is what you do next. And I think that's what you need to focus on. Freedom and healing is possible. And, um, you know, I think we should have gratitude for having another chance at becoming whole and healthy. Okay. Sorry. Our podcast went a little long. I think we're about 40 minutes on this one. Um, tune in again. I'll have more interesting things to tell you to think about. Um, and just know that, um, I spend, I have spent the last four and a half years doing extensive research, reading, training, um, classes, all kinds of things to learn about this and what I bring to you. Um, I'm, I, I believe that it can help. I hope it helps you. Okay. Much love. Bye.